With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com a pretty good free website on the internet that talks about Ohio State athletics. Um, I'm back. I'm your intrepid host, Matt Brown, the managing editor of this website, a college league manager for SB Nation, and the author of the upcoming book. I, I, I guess I can talk about this now because it's like official, official. The upcoming book, What If? A Closer Look at College Football's Great Questions, which will be on sale on the internet and in bookstores near you, especially if you live in Ohio, in late July. I'm going to try not to talk about that too much because we have a bunch of other things to talk about. I'm joined by Colton. Colton, what's going on, man? Matt, I'm doing great today. This is my second podcast today, so I'm feeling like I'm racking up the blogger experience points, and at some point in the next few days, I'll be able to learn Ice Beam. You're, you're, you're dangerously close to leveling up, but if we face any rock or ground type bloggers in the near future, they're going to be they're going to be toast, man. Yeah, I feel like Rutgers would be rock or ground type. Not very... Strong though, or, or or poison maybe. I think that's Purdue. <laughs> I feel like Purdue would always use poison powder and just end up hurting itself. Yeah, that yeah, and poison powder and tail whip for Purdue. We we could probably spend an hour talking about various Pokemon types for Big Ten football programs. But there's actually a couple other things here that I want to talk about first. Uh, NFL draft is now in the books. Another positive showing here. For Ohio State, we, we could talk a little bit about that, but we actually have uh, some questions in our mailbox um, that I want to get to, and a little bit of other like hard Ohio State news uh, that that's happened recently. I, I, w- I want to get to that first, and, and then and then I'll get to some of your questions here. So uh, last week, a little bit before the NFL draft, we had we had some Ohio State scheduling news, which uh, was a little bit different uh, because with, unlike, I mean. I don't know, it's been almost a, probably over a decade since they've done this. Ohio State is going to play a neutral site game. It's been something that Gene Smith and the and uh, Martin Jarmond and a lot of the other Ohio State administrators have have resisted, despite having numerous opportunities over the last couple of years. But uh, they will play TCU at the Jerry Dome in 2018, and the Horned Frogs will not make the return trip as previously scheduled. Um, so 2019 now ha- does not have a power conference team. It's Florida Atlantic, Cincinnati, Miami. They added extra games against Bowling Green and Tulsa as well. So the Buckeyes are scheduled out now through 2019, and they're probably scheduled out as far as Power 5 teams are concerned for, like, the next eight years. Uh, they added a home-and-home home with Washington uh, after the Notre Dame and Texas series here. So there, there's there's some rumors of a, of a potential other team that the Buckeyes might look at for later on. But what do you think about that uh, schedule adjustment and what Ohio State's non-conference slates are looking at here for the next couple of years? So are, are you okay with that, not okay with that? Are you, How do you feel about, about the direction things are going? I think the TCU thing is pretty cool, and I know that they like to shun playing those neutral site games. 
But honestly, I, I'm more in favor of doing that a little bit more often than doing the home in, home series just because I, I think that we, we know what Ohio State is. We know that you're going to have big games at home in the Big Ten, and the OU game should be pretty fun this year. But I think at this point where the program is that they can get even more exposure, if that's possible, by playing games like this or playing on the road. I think I'm more bummed that they aren't going to play at TCU than I am that TCU isn't coming to Columbus because I don't think they really have anything to gain at this point playing big conference or big non-conference games at home. I think where they can make all of their bacon is by going out on the road and playing other power conference teams. And even if it's not, you know, the, the top dogs, like what we saw with Cal in 2013. How how cool was that, that they went on the road all the way across the country and Ohio State fans traveled, they took over the city, and even though it was a shitty Cal team, I, I think that that was memorable and that lasts in people's mind more so than when Cal came to the shoe the year before and they played, what, like a, a 1 p.m. game that Ohio State almost lost that was boring as hell. So I, I think that that's cool, at least, that they're, they're getting outside of Columbus. And the games against Oregon, Texas, and Washington, those are great, and I'm looking forward to those series. But I wish that they would get out on the road more, even if they weren't playing heavyweight teams. So I like it. You know, I think I disagree with you. Uh, and and that, that's not something that, that we do very often here. Like on, on the top level, I don't see how any Ohio State fan could be disappointed with, with the schedule direction because you're getting a premier, you know, top-level team at least once, maybe twice, basically every year for the next decade except for one. And it wouldn't shock me if they end up making some tweaks to the 2019 schedule. You know, maybe you don't quite feel that way about TCU, but um, they're close at this point. Uh, I just think that, that neutral neutral side games in general are crappy experiences. Like, I get that Ohio State makes a lot of money for this. They're going to get a $5 million guarantee. But as a fan, I, I, don't, I don't give a shit <laughs> if Ohio State gets a big check. Ohio State's rich. You know, the, 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 the difference to me uh, or, or to anybody who's not on Ohio State's payroll, whether Ohio State makes $2 million or $5 million from their non-con game, there, there's basically no difference. It's not like Ohio State's going to, oh, we made a bunch more money from the TCU game, so we're going to give extra scholarships to women's hockey or we're going to start a beach volleyball team. And it's not like they're missing out on, on facilities changes right now. What it does mean, though, is you generally get a, a less positive in-person experience. Jerry Dome is, is a, a technological marvel. But it's going to not be as intense of an, of an experience for people who are actually going than it would be if it was, you know, on TCU's campus. So I, I think that's a drag. I don't, I don't really have too much of a complaint with some of these, like, G5 teams that they're adding. Um, I don't love that uh, for the next two years, Ohio State's going to face an option team. They're facing Army next year. Uh, and then in 2018, they have to play Tulane. And uh, also, I love the troops. But if it were up to me, Ohio State would never play anybody that runs the triple option because even though you're probably going to win, it's going to be close, ugly, and it takes away preparation time for you know other other big teams left on the schedule. Like well, I, I think part of the reason Ohio State got upset by Virginia Tech is because they had to spend all the time preparing for Navy the week before. So not thrilled about that, but like I'm not somebody that has a super strong opinion about Florida Atlantic versus Miami versus Tulsa. Like that's that's fine. Uh, and that's probably I do. I have a very strong opinion on that. Okay, what's your, what, what? What is your take? I know why they do those games, and I would never advocate because it would never happen for them to get rid of them. But I, I think my reasons are are at least twofold. Is 
one, those, those games are boring. We, we know Ohio State is routinely going to blow those teams out, and I think it would be more fun to get ho- at least a home-and-home home or at least somebody coming in like, you know, for selfish purposes for me, CU, like we saw in 2011, getting another Power 5 team in there would be cool. And then secondly, and, and this may be a little bit of a hot take, and I, I'm interested to hear your opinion on it, if it's not the Michigan game or a Big Ten night game, the atmosphere in the shoe, it, it kind of sucks, especially for those non-conference games. It's really kind of static and boring. And that that's just like a minor complaint, but I, I wish that they would at least schedule different group of five teams. Bowling Green came in here last year. They played Tulsa. They're going to play him again. They, they played Cincinnati. They did it in 2014. And I understand why they do it and why it's a necessity. They need to play seven home games a year. They like to get in-state teams. So that's fine. And it's just unrealistic of me to think otherwise. But I wish that there was just a different way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I've spent my share of, you know, Saturday afternoons up in the bleachers watching Troy. You know, or, or whatever. I, I, I get that. That you're right. It's it's not it's not an electric atmosphere. I think if you have to play um, one of those kind of games, like I, I would prefer at least one of them be an in-state team, so that way that guarantee goes to another Ohio public institution's athletic budget. Buckeyes are going to pay, you know, between one point two and one point six million dollars for each of these gimme games. Like, it'd be nice for some of that to stay within the state. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it'd be nice to be a little bit different, but, like, I guess I don't really care that much if it's, like, the difference between Ohio and Kent State, like, you know, in, in, in that game. We'll see. There is one potentially poten- – like, potential. We stress here, potential. Bigger name that, that might be added here if, if we're reading the Twitter.com tea leaves. Um, so what's, what's going on here over the next couple of days is the NCAA men's volleyball tournament, which is, which coincidentally is in Columbus, Ohio, Ohio state is the, is the defending national champion. They had another outstanding season. Um, they are going to play, uh, Hawaii at 8 PM today, uh, Thursday, May 4th when recording this, they're, they're favored to win that game. And then they would face either long beach state or BYU. And so the, and these matches are in Columbus. So BYU's uh, athletic director and some you know guys from from BYU Television and some other people are all in Columbus right now. Um, and BYU's athletic director Tom Homo tweeted a little bit earlier today a picture of him in the shoe, um, you know, saying, "Hey, should we try to get a game here?" Um, and you know, obviously BYU fans went nuts because because that's a that's a big game here. Um, it would be a big game for them. I know Ohio State and BYU have talked about playing a couple of times before. Uh, BYU nearly replaced Vanderbilt. I think this was back in 2013 when Vandy kind of unexpectedly canceled. Uh, they, they've had a couple of conversations here before. Just a quick eyeball at both those schedules. It looks like the soonest that they could realistically play would be 2024, unless one of the teams um, canceled or, or rearranged some previously scheduled games. One... How do you feel about potentially playing BYU? Two, would you be okay if Ohio State did a home-and-home home or played a road game either in Provo or in maybe the new Raiders stadium in Las Vegas? Yes to both. I think that that would be fantastic, not only to get you know that. I, I think that that would be a cool storyline to have BYU come to Columbus. It'd be a premier matchup. I, I think it would 
garner a lot of television viewers, and that doesn't mean anything to us, but I, I think it would just be good for the program. And then whether it was going to Provo or going on the road to Las Vegas, and Martin Jarman just did an, an interview with the guys at Land of 10, which was very good, shout out to them, about how they schedule and when they do these road games, they want to be in areas they recruit. Well, Ohio State's hit Las Vegas very hard in recent years, and I think that that would be another way to kind of plant that flag to steal a phrase that the coaching staff uses in Las Vegas. And it would be just an awesome showcase for that new stadium. You have a bunch of Ohio State fans traveling to Las Vegas. I think it would be a win-win for everybody. Uh, So here's kind of what I think. And I realize this part of this is selfish as the land-grant special Mormon correspondent and somebody that on some level has some divided. I mean, not really. Like, I would want Ohio State to win by 50. Um, but but you, you know you know what I mean right like you know Taylor went there and and I used to write for the BYU site for a long time. I'm 100% in favor of Ohio State adding BYU in a game in Columbus. That is a really really strong second best game of your schedule. BYU's won a national title. They have been a top 50 program for the last decade, uh, if not top 40 or or maybe top 30 uh, in, in in a lot of those years. That's a it's a game Ohio State should win. It should be entertaining. It should be close. A lot there's a lot of BYU fans will travel, um, and even there's not there's not a ton in Columbus, but people will drive you know all throughout the Midwest. It'd be a fun game. I'm less excited about a return trip to Provo. Ohio State actually does kind of recruit Utah a little bit. You know, Brandon Bowen's a, is a Utah kid. Ohio State nearly got Porter Gustin, who was a Utah kid. Uh, they uh, you know were recruiting Jay Tufaley a lot. You know, last cycle he's a Utah kid. Urban Meyer, of course, coached at Utah. There's generally only one or two kids in the state of Utah a year that could probably play for Ohio State. The Buckeyes often kick the tires on them, so you know it wouldn't be totally, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be, wouldn't, wouldn't be a wasted trip in that regard. But one, you know, that's a stadium that's 62,000 people. Uh, and given that Ohio State can schedule virtually anybody out of conference. Um, they're usually playing in much bigger stadiums and in places where there's more Ohio State fans and graduates. And it's not a ton in Salt Lake. There's more around Vegas. The other thing is like that would no offense to BYU, but that would be maybe the 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 least prestigious true road game Ohio State's ever played or has played in like 40 years. Like you know, going back in the schedules, and they 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 technically played like quasi neutral site games with Cincinnati and Toledo at the Bengals and Brown stadiums. But, like, they played at West Virginia, they played at NC State, and they played at Missouri. And, uh, like, when they, played, when they played Wazoo, that was in Seattle. I mean, I mean you know, maybe, maybe you view Cal in, in that kind of regard. And, you know, maybe I, I view those programs as, like, a little bit more prestigious than BYU. So, like, if, 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 when you realize that because you can only play one road game every other year, you're, you're shooting your shot at a potential, like, major Pac-12, Big 12, or ACC program on BYU and you might lose. And if BYU, Ohio State lost to BYU in Provo, I'd have to like quit. I have to delete my account. I have to go back to human resources. I'd have to, I'd have to, I mean, cause I would just get dumped on like forever. Uh, and, and selfishly, I don't really want that. So like, who knows if this actually happens? If it does, Hey, that, that's a great secondary addition. I'm not thrilled if the Buckeyes play in Provo, if they play, a, you know, a neutral site game in Vegas, like, I don't really like neutral site games, but I guess that's fine. Uh, we'll 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 see we'll see what happens. And that's the thing to remember is they they can only schedule one of these each year. It's not like what are these every what, other pro, year? Pro, yeah every other year. It's probably not like 
what we used to do in NCAA where it's like, I'll go on the road and play at Nebraska, at Oregon, and at Alabama and boost my strength of schedule. Like, that just doesn't exist. But I wish it did. <laughs> really, a, a lot of college football, I think, would be improved if it was just like the video games. Uh, Absolutely. I got a couple of questions here. We want to we wanna go through and uh, answer for the good people. You can, of course, always uh, you can tweet me at Matt SBN at the website at landgrant33 and, uh, or shoot me an email at matt.brown at sbnation.com, and we will get to your question whenever it is we sit down to record this podcast. So I'm scrolling through my mentions, trying to – I know this is like super compelling radio uh, – to try and find some of the questions that we got. So Garrett Kroger asks at – G-K-R-O-E-G-S. I know Tate Martell won't play this year because of JT, but what's his upside, and could he start during the 2018 or 2019 season? Well, yeah, he's definitely not going to start this year because of JT, and even if JT Barrett wasn't there, I don't think Tate Martell starts either. Uh, It's really hard for a true freshman to play anywhere at Ohio State, especially at quarterback. And I think uh, Martell's size and playing style and arm – um, maybe not arm, but you know, ability to, to function within the offense is behind the players who are of, I would say, comparable quality, but have experience within the program. I would not be completely shocked if Martell doesn't redshirt, if he's used in special situational packages, kind of like a tiny Tim Tebow, because of his scrambling ability uh, and, and, and uh, elusiveness within the field. But like, I would not expect big things from him this year. Could we start next year? Sure. Could you start the year after that? Sure. Uh, the Buckeyes are loaded in that quarterback room right now. I, I kind of think Dwayne Haskins personally is going to uh, over, uh, overtake Joe Burrow eventually. Uh, the ball zips out of Haskins' arm uh, just a little bit better than Burrow does. Um, and you know, if Haskins gets another year in that offense, I think he might be able to make up some ground. It'll be hard for Martell to, to overtake both of them. But sure, it's, it's, it's possible. What do you think? Yeah, I think it'll be tough for Martell to earn anything other than, like you're saying, that situational playing time, and it's going to have to be really, really in in those late minutes of blowout games, and that's even after Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow, whoever gets that second job, and then that third backup quarterback spot as well. But I do think he has a place on the roster, and I would not be shocked at all to see him in 2018 or 2019, 2020 start for this team. And based off of what we heard Urban Meyer say about Tim Tebow while he was at Florida – and now at Ohio State with JT Barrett, he really likes those guys that have, you know, the quote unquote leadership qualities or grit. And in watching Martell, he definitely got that. And I, I think that he has teammates gravitate towards him. And I think that that counts a lot in this coaching staff's book. And those are attributes that I think Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins have as well. But I do think if he ever gets a legitimate shot at a job, whether it's next year or in 2019, I wouldn't be surprised to see him take it and, and, and run with it here for a couple of seasons because for all the physical you know, downgrades against him, namely the height, I, I just think – and it's so cliche, he's just a gamer. And honestly, that's what this coaching staff kind of prefers. And I, I think that he could bring that in a couple of years, but we'll have to wait and see. I think between the two quarterback, other quarterbacks Ohio State currently has and Emory Jones, who is the committed uh, in Ohio State's 2018 class. He's been taking other visits, but let's assume that he sticks right now. I think I like Martell the least, but that doesn't mean that I don't like him. 
uh, and any four of those are, are, are capable of being a multi-year starter for Ohio State. That's a good problem to have. It's a great problem to have, especially when, when you look around the conference and you look around the country at other teams with not comparable talent, but teams that have aspirations of winning a conference title or a national championship that have to replace those quarterbacks and then are, are left with either true freshmen or they haven't recruited the position as well or they've had a bunch of attrition and they can't you know put it together solely because they don't have a quarterback. I think that that's one problem that Ohio State is going to avoid here for at least the next three or four seasons. Yeah. On that note, uh, we have another question, another, I guess a, a take. From CH, that's at you said what on Twitter.com, says there needs to be a QB competition. GT Barrett is the third best quarterback on this team as a passer and a big, accurate arm, won the national championship in 2014. Uh, I'm just going to let you riff on this real quick. Do you agree with that statement? At the, at the risk of sounding condescending, like it's just not going to happen. And that's not coming from me. It's not coming from Matt. That's coming from the coaching staff. And we've seen since Urban Meyer's been in Columbus at other positions that they're they're not willing to just step in and say, okay, this three-year starter isn't exactly playing phenomenally. Let's put this freshman in or let's put this guy in that has five pass attempts or five reps in a game. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I, I can understand people wanting to get new blood. I'm not one of them. I think JT Barrett's going to have an awesome year. We've talked about it here. I think JT Barrett's one of the top three favorites for the Heisman in this new offense, and I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong. So it, it's just a non-starter, and it's going to – what are we, May 4th? It's going to be a long offseason if this is where we're at. But, like, for people that are on that train – it's just not going to happen. So I don't know why you're getting your hopes up because they're, they're not going to pull the trigger on it. I don't even think it should. Like, let's, No, let's, it shouldn't happen at all. Yeah, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Number one, I think there has been a little bit of misremembering of the Cardell Jones era at the end of the 2014 season, right? If we look at Cardell Jones against Alabama and Oregon, uh, Jones never completed 60% of his passes. Like, it was, this was not an especially efficient passing game. Uh, what he did was be able to chuck the ball completely down the field and had Ezekiel Elliott rushing for over 230 yards in both of those games. That's why Ohio State won, you know, th- because they were able to you know, just hand the ball off tackle and get seven yards a carry and, and be able to just let Cardell chuck it. And I, I think that was, a li- you know, makes the next season a little bit less shocking because we never really got to see Cardell just sit in the pocket and complete 64% of his passes. Like, that's not the kind of quarterback that he is. Now, did Barrett regress last year? Yes. Ohio State made some significant changes in their coaching staff. You know, I, I think I think if you're if you're leaning on, oh my gosh, what do we got to do about Barrett? I think you're you're jumping to conclusions based on a spring game that's not really indicative of where Ohio State is at the moment, given you know who Barrett's offensive line was, what the play calling was, and really, like, he was fine in the spring game. He had one bad pass that wouldn't that wouldn't have even been, have, have ever been thrown in a real game situation because he, he would have been running. They all look good, but in terms of decision-making ability and ability to run the read option and ability to distribute the football, even if he doesn't have the arm strength of Haskins, like JT Barrett's the best quarterback, uh, open and shut. And, you know, we can start to have this conversation like week five if Barrett hasn't improved, but I don't think it's worth having now. Yeah, and I think that it's fine to really like Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow. There's there's a lot of things to like about both of those players, but – you know, a hypothetical scenario where either 
Joe Burrow or Dwayne Haskins as your quarterback on September 9th against Oklahoma, against that team with an Ohio State team that has national championship aspirations, I don't think that's going to go very well in what their, their second start. So, you know, it's just something where it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to happen. And I think by week three after that Oklahoma game, that there's going to be no more of that because JT Barrett's going to be on his way to a really good season. And I'm willing to eat crow if I'm wrong, but I think that this offense is going to be just fine. And to your point, everybody wants to talk about the deep passing game, but like you said, a main portion of that offense, probably the biggest part of that offense, why it was so great and dangerous is because they were able to rip off long runs. And for the last two seasons, that hasn't really existed in the offense. That's you know, it's it's all it's all completely true. I, I I'm with you. Uh, I think the additions of the addition of Wilson, uh, who has a, a really great documented history of offensive success, and some of the maturation of some of Ohio State's skill position players and offensive lines should equal a big season. And uh, you know we can we can make fun of us or revisit this conversation later on if if it's actually a thing. A couple of people are going to shout this over the off season. I do not agree. Uh, another question here from our friend Eli Bar- Barrister of uh, SB Nation's College Cross says, how excited are you that Ohio State is hosting the Big Ten Men's Lacrosse Tournament? Uh, i got to be honest. Uh, I haven't watched a ton of Ohio State lacrosse this year. I haven't watched a little bit, and Ohio State's awesome. Um, they are, I think, the two-seed in the Big Ten Tournament. They're definitely going to be in the NCAAs. They have a, they've have a puncher's chance of winning the dang thing because all of their losses have been super close. The whole thing's going to be in Columbus and they're going to have a, a real shot at going really deep into the tournament. Like it's fun. It's been fun to watch that program grow just tremendously. I think over the past couple of years from, Hey, you know, pretty good for not being on the East coast to pretty good while being in the big 10, which isn't that great of a conference to now a very deep conference, despite not being very big and now just very good period. So that, that's exciting. Uh, and yeah, I think that, I mean, for my uneducated view here, he also asks who's the better lacrosse conference this year, big 10 or the ACC, everybody in the big 10 is good this year, except for Michigan and Michigan just fired their coach. Um, so I, I think if you get five out of six teams that are tournament caliber, that seems good to me, right? Yeah, that does seem good. And I think I'm in the same boat. Like I, I don't know much, if anything about the lacrosse team, but they're 12 and three. They had a little bit of a down year last year. They played in the NCAA championships two years ago against DU out here and, and played in a pretty great game. But I think anytime, and we've talked about this before, anytime that you can get some of these non-revenue sports in a prime time position or at, at the highest level, we talked about the men's volleyball team being very good. Tennis is up there as well. You, of course, you have wrestling and then men's and women's hockey have each had their moments, uh, and women's basketball too. I think anytime you can get any of these lower-rung sports up in a, in a big-time position, it's great for the university and it's great for fans and alumni. Yeah, I, I'm pro Ohio State winning games and potentially winning championships in all sports. Um, Andy Smith asks, was, how good was the spot? It was good. It was, fr- it was damn good. I mean, people forget this, but the spot was good. Uh, and and uh, Bo Brammer on Twitter also asked, is there a God? Uh, well, I think we just answered that. Spot was good, so probably. Um, I think it's hard to argue after that call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To be quite honest, yeah. I think that's all the evidence you need. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. So um, that's, that, that's, that's the big news here. I, I guess we, we can kind of wrap up on, on this, unless you had something else that you're burning about. Is there any 
a player picked in the NFL draft this year that you think is just an especially excellent fit for their team? Because I think you follow these, the NFL specifically a little, well, not a little bit, much closer than I do. And could probably speak in, in more detail about how an individual player fits in with another team. From an Ohio State standpoint, I, I think Malik Hooker is probably the best fit for the Colts. Their defense has really struggled in the last five years or so, and that offense has had to carry a lot. And they've missed on a lot of the guys they've picked and a lot of the defensive free agent pickups they've had. And I, I think that a lot of people are underselling what Malik Hooker can do because uh, I've heard a lot of the talk is, well, you know, he may be the best cover free-range safety since Earl Thomas, but in run support, you know, who knows what you're going to get. But you're looking at a guy who played, what, 13 games in his Ohio State career pretty much on defense as a starter, and he was that good already. I think there's the only way to go is up with Malik Hooker, and I think he's going to bring a big boost to that defense and be a very productive player there for at least a decade and I think that that's the same with Marshawn Lattimore if he's able to stay healthy you look at the ceiling for him and I I don't really see how other than the hamstring how he can't be a top level corner in the NFL for the next decade or so so I think a lot of Ohio State players ended up in a good place Curtis Samuel as well with Christian McCaffrey that's that's going to be quite the duo if Mike Shula uh, knows knows how to use both of those guys in Carolina and if they can get them the ball. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Lattimore. Um, I feel like this draft was a good example of the fact that the NFL draft is still on some level, you know, job interviews and things outside of just your pure ability matter when you're being selected for jobs like Ohio state and now new Orleans, I I think pretty demonstrably have a a close relationship. Succeeding at Ohio state means something to the saints front office. And it was super clear at the end of the draft because Noah Brown, somebody who I don't think had a great career at Ohio state outside of the Oklahoma game. And statistically wise, um, you know, you know, didn't compare to other wideouts. He got picked because Ezekiel Elliott, a guy already in the organization, said pick this dude. Uh, and and I, you know, that's, a, a, I think, a testament to the strength of the Ohio State football program. And having that many dudes in the NFL is going to – already, you know, there, there's a multiplier effect. You know, they're, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna pitch their own guys back in college, their own teammates, those connections. And as those players in the NFL succeed, people who are more marginal cases – Uh, are going to get the benefit of the doubt coming out of Ohio State, and that helps Ohio State recruiting. It's interesting you bring up the culture and and how much trust there is with coaches and the guys that Urban Meyer's put into the NFL and and other players and maybe other scouts vouching for the kids coming out of Ohio State. On Noah Brown front, of the 32 players drafted that were listed as receivers, he had less catches and less yards than all of them by a significant margin. I think other than... UNC's Mac Hollins, who got drafted by the Eagles, and he was injured and only played in seven games. So I think that that goes to show right there that you have people, like whether it's Ezekiel Elliott or scouts or coaches, that are talking to the Cowboy staff and saying, look, we know this kid, his numbers weren't great, he's a blocking type of receiver. Hell, he broke his leg and missed a full year. He only really played one year as a receiver, as a true receiver, because in 2014 he was just used as a blocker but yet they take him anyway. I think that goes to show a lot for the program. And then on New Orleans too, now 
You've had them take three guys within the first two rounds in the last two drafts with Von Bell, Mike Thomas, and now Marshawn Lattimore. It's kind of like what the Steelers were doing even up till Ryan Shazier. It seemed like every year that the Steelers would take an Ohio State defender. And I remember Mike Tomlin saying, we can trust what Jim Tressel and his defenses put out into the NFL. And that's why we like to take so many guys from Ohio State. And that's where the program is right now with Urban Myers. They're building those relationships. And guys like Sean Payton or, or Bill Belichick or Jason Garrett are seeing that and saying, hey, these kids come from a winning culture. We want to have winning cultures. We're going to the playoffs every year. We know these kids know what it's like to be under that pressure. So let's take them. And, and I think that obviously – it's great for the program and really goes to show the high level that Ohio State is at right now, which is only occupied by probably Alabama and, and maybe Clemson here in the coming years. You're, you're right. It, I, it, it also is interesting if you look at the teams that have kind of conspicuously not drafted Ohio State players recently, like, I don't know, the Cleveland Browns. They're bad. They're bad. <laughs> it's almost actually perennially bad teams like the Browns or the Jaguars. Uh, should perhaps look at trying to bring in players from a very successful culture like Ohio State. I don't know. Just, 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 just a thought from somebody who doesn't really watch the NFL. Um, I think we'll wrap up here on that. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can always find our show on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Tell your friends. Share it. I know you have a lot of options for Ohio State podcasts in your life. Thank you for choosing this one. Um, excuse me. I'll, I'll be back next week. I'm, I'm actually going to be in, in Cleveland this weekend. I'm going to help with a taping of America Ninja Warrior. So if you're in Cleveland and you're around the downtown area next Thursday, I mean next Tuesday, uh, head on downtown and watch some people Ninja Warrioring. It should be fun. Come say hi. I hope to be back in Ohio again later this summer to help promote the book, which we can talk about a little bit later because there's some Ohio State and there are a lot of Big Ten ties uh, in there. Um, in the meantime, everyone, thanks for listening and go Bucks. <laughs>